Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. My life changed dramatically the day I fell in love. I remember very clearly. I'm not talking about when you first set eyes on each other. And I've taught you, told you about my story with that, right? I mean, I was just smitten by my wife. I mean, she was just beautiful. She's still beautiful. Uh, but I was smitten in heart racing and dating. I'm not talking about that. Uh, I'm talking about something that, that if, I don't know if there's any young people here in here this morning. now. yeah, there are. This is, I wouldn't encourage you to do it this way. The way I did it. But <clears throat> we had dated for two and a half years. And we were out uh, one evening. And something just clicked for me. Like something just flipped over. I thought, what am I doing? I love this girl. And so before the night was over, I got down on my knees and asked her to marry me. Might have been a good idea to think about that a while and talk to people, but what I want you to know is something had changed. I'd moved from this being in love kind of thing to I love this person. And, and led me to a commitment, led me to do something fairly bold. And what I noticed is it changed my perspective on what was going on in my life. All of a sudden, I mean, I was in my senior year of college getting ready to graduate. This is April, April the 8th, 1975. I remember the date. Uh, she was a senior in high school getting ready to graduate. And I would say, yeah, I got to get a job. And all of a sudden, I need to get a job. I want to marry this girl. I need to get a job. And I got serious about what am I going to do for work? Began pursuing that. I think I got to have a place to live. I mean, if I'm going to be, you know, I got to take care of my wife and... And here I are 38 years later. But it changed my life the day that I really I don't know, started loving my wife the way you're supposed to love your wife. Um, and this really does have something to do with Christian boldness and the things we're talking about. So let's take a look. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one in the chairs there in front of you underneath in a, a little area to hold it. We encourage you to get it out and turn to page 1,274. Page 1,274. Because if you follow along with this, it'll make it a lot easier and I think you, you will enjoy it better, get more out of it. Acts chapter 16. Now last week we were in Acts 14. And uh, we finished that where Paul had been stoned, left for dead, and God raised him up. We talked about the boldness. Um, Acts chapter 15 is, a, is kind of an interlude where Paul and Barnabas and his companions end up at a conference in Jerusalem where they're trying to decide what do the Gentiles have to do to be saved and to be followers of Christ. And so we um, uh, actually looked at a lot of that in Romans this summer. 
But anyway, so they settled that, that no, the Gentiles don't have to become Jewish. They don't have to begin keeping the law of Moses. They don't have to do anything. They have to believe in Christ and then just be sensitive to their Jewish brothers and sisters, okay? That's what they need to do. So then at the end of that chapter, the apostle Paul says, hey, let's go back and visit the places where we, we went and share the gospel and started churches. Let's go back and visit them. Uh, Barnabas has a little bit different idea about that, and so they kind of go their separate ways, and so Paul connects with Silas, and they head out to do this. And where we want to pick up is in verse number six. Acts chapter 16, again, page 1274, verse six. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, we don't know how this worked. We don't know if, uh, I mean, it's possible that the Lord spoke verbally to him, but it seems like they might have said that. Somehow, Paul and his companions, it was very clear to them that, that God did not want them to go. Now, whether it's because God put an actual, you know, physical obstacle in the way that they were not able to go, or whether he just made it so clear in their hearts that, oh, we're not supposed to go here. We just aren't supposed to go. We don't know. But somehow it was clear to them that for what God was uh, saying to them. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Uh, we don't know if this was in a dream or just some other kind of way this happened. Um, it says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Macedonia being uh, what we would consider modern day Greece, okay? The cities of Greece. But when they, you know, I don't know if, if if I had a vision in the middle of the night that I would wake up and say, that's God, I'd probably say, I don't know if I want to tell anybody I had a dream, <laughs> right? But somehow or other, Paul was, was alert enough and aware enough that this was God. Paul's relationship with the Lord was such that he was able to discern what was God and what wasn't. And so we see that, and immediately they get up and they go. Okay, let's jump down to verse number, uh, where we're gonna go to verse number 22. But before we do, so what happens here? So they go, they go to the city of Philippi, they meet a lady there who comes to Christ and who opens up her home to, to them to stay and to minister out of. Uh, in the process, Paul uh, ends up casting a demon out of a young woman. She was a servant girl, a slave girl, and her masters were you, would use her, her erratic behavior, the things that she would say and do and the way she would act when she was under the influence of this evil spirit. And they were making money off of that. Well, Paul sets her free from this evil spirit, casts the spirit out, and now all of a sudden she's normal. Guess what happens to the slave, slave owners? All of a sudden, all this money they were making off of her is gone. 
And they're really, really unhappy about this. So unhappy that they go to the, the city officials, the, the regional Roman officials, and complain and say they're, they're telling us to violate Roman law and they're you know, undercutting our, our ability to, to make an income, all this kind of stuff. And so here's the response in verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Does, is this starting to sound like a familiar story? Everywhere Paul goes and his companions, we either end up with riots or revivals. I mean, okay, and they just didn't know which to expect in Philippi. And so here they are, been taken captive by the authorities, thrown into prison and commanded to be beaten. Verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the, the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So man, they were locked away deep down inside and even locked up inside the prison cell. Now, I don't know if, if you are familiar uh, with what happens to a person when they're beaten like this with rods. In modern days, they call this caning. They still do it in Singapore. They still do it in Malaysia. In fact, it's in the past 10, 15 years, I don't remember, but we had an American citizen who was in Singapore and who ended up being caned, okay? Caning could be one time. It's, it's with a, a rattan cane, usually soaked in salt water on a bare backside, okay? And uh, when they hit and pull, it, it often tears the flesh. And so one stripe is, is terrible. Uh, two, three, four, five stripes is really bad. Ten stripes is terrible. Um, there are instances of people receiving 40 and 50 stripes and barely surviving it. Okay? Paul tells us in another letter of his that he had on more than one occasion been beaten with rods 39 times. I think this is probably one of them. They say that you can barely keep your thoughts focused after this. The pain is so great you cannot walk, you cannot uh, sit, you can't lay on your back. All you can do is lay on your face. Maybe try to crawl. It's terrible. It's, they say it's the worst pain they've ever experienced. And it's just, it's really bad. In fact, Amnesty International keeps trying to get them to outlaw it in these places as it's, it's cruel and unusual punishment. Well, this is what happened to Paul and Silas. Because they had been bold for Christ and spoken the truth. I, I think if it had been me, I would have wanted to take a little time off now. Would you? I don't even want to think about this for a while. What I really want to do is pass out for a while. I don't want to be experiencing this anymore, feeling this. So what goes on here? Verse 25, how do they respond? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, prisoners were listening to them. They're singing. They're praying out loud to God. Is there something different about their relationship with God than what we would normally expect? Seems like it, doesn't it? That this is their response? I mean, maybe I could get praying, oh God, please help me, I'm, you know, agony and, and praying to God like that. 
But I don't get a sense that's what this kind of prayer was about because not only were they praying, they were what? Singing. It takes something to sing when you don't, when life isn't good. Something's different going on when you can sing. And it says the prisoners were listening to them. They'd got the prisoners' attention. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. This must be God's answer to prayer, right? We're getting out of here. Well, I think it was God's answer to prayer, but not in the way that we think. Let's continue to read. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And we think, wow, that seemed like an overreaction, but it wasn't because for him to lose these prisoners, all of them, any of them, especially these prisoners that they had given him special charge of, right? Given specific instructions about. If he lost them under Roman law, he would be put to death. And he would be put to death probably in a not very pleasant way. I don't know they're getting put to death anyway. It's very pleasant. But you know what I'm talking about? How they would have done it. And so he figures, I'll just kill myself now and get it over with. Verse 28. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Not just Paul. Not just Silas. But all the other prisoners were there too and had not run away. Why? Well, it seems to me that while they had been captured and imprisoned, now they were not in prison anymore, but they had been captured by something else. And that was by what they were hearing from those two guys down the hall. It had so impacted them that they didn't leave. They were staying to maybe hear more. Verse 29, then he, the jailer, called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He must have been listening too. He's hearing them sing about, and, and then he's hearing them pray. Who knows what they're praying about? Like I said, my thing, I would think naturally would say you'd be praying, you know, God, please, just let me fall asleep. I, I can't stand this pain. Help me with this. Somehow or other, get us out of here. Get us away from this place. But based on what we see Paul doing repeatedly here in Acts and the fact of the uh, jailer's words to him, I can't help but think they were praying things like this, you know, God, thank you that we have had the opportunity to share the gospel here. Thank you that you've counted us willing to suffer for you. We pray that everybody who has heard what we said and those who are hearing us now will understand that, that you love them and that you sent your son to be their savior. And would that make sense? That they're praying like that? Oh God, do something great out of this horrible thing that has happened to us. As we sang, work this together for your good, Father. He had said enough, they'd said enough that somehow this jailer knew to ask, what do I have to do to be saved? Let's look at the answer. 
Verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that God sent to die for our sins, rise again. And then if we will trust him as Savior to forgive every sin and give us eternal life, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not just you, but your household as well, because they can respond to the message too. Verse 22. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, his household. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. What does that tell us? That they did believe, right? They did come to believe that Jesus is the Savior and they did place their faith and trust him as Savior. And then they're doing what the Lord has told us to do after we do that. To, to be baptized, and they did. I, I, you know, just this very moment, I never thought of this. These are these two guys who were so severely beaten, and somehow they're managing to baptize them. There's a little boldness there. Immediately he and his family were baptized, verse 34. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Had God answered somebody's prayers? I think it was Paul and Silas's prayers there that just got answered. Not in the way we might have expected. The rest of the chapter tells us how you know, they end up getting out and moving on down the road to the next place. But this is about boldness. We've been talking about boldness. And let me just put this out there and then we'll talk about it. If you want to be bold for Jesus, fall in love with him. If you want to be bold for Jesus, fall in love with him. And I hope I just didn't weird out a bunch of men. We don't mean we're talking about, you know, the kind of love God is talking about is a love where you, you, uh, you value who you're loving so much that you will do whatever needs to be done to, for this person, the best interest of this person. And so as we fall in, that's the way the Lord loved us, right? The way he still loves us. And so when we fall in love with him, we love him back that way, that we're willing to do what needs to be done. What's in, in the Lord's best interest, which he has no need of, but of what he's trying to accomplish, what he's trying to do. And so we need to fall in love with the Lord in this way. Um, and the reason I say that, because I mean, I, you know, I think you could rightly ask, and so wait a minute, I just read that passage with you and I don't see it say anything about falling in love with the Lord. And it's really important that we say what the Bible says, right? That we don't just make up stuff and apply it, you know. So it's really important. Let me tell you where I see this. As I, as I spent time with this passage talking more about trying to figure out, we saw in the beginning that they had a relationship with God such that they were able to discern when God was saying no. And he doesn't tell us how God did. doesn't say God said it out loud to them. So somehow they had the, a kind of relationship with the Lord that enabled them to know when he was saying no. They had a kind of relationship with the Lord that when the Lord gave guidance, they immediately knew it was him. And now they immediately know it was from him. They immediately did something about it. That's the kind of relationship they had with the Lord. 
And then after they've been beaten almost to death, they demonstrate their relationship with God. How do you know what kind of tea is in a tea bag if the label's missing? You put it in hot water. And what's on the inside comes out. Well, what was on the inside of Paul and Silas? Well, they got put in hot water, didn't they? And what came out was this love, praise, relationship with God. They had this loving relationship with the Lord. And so... I think this is where their boldness flows from. And then you take other things Paul said other places and other parts of the story. This boldness that they had came out of a love, a deep love relationship with God that changed them. Because when you begin loving like this, it changes you. Changes your relationship with God, changes your relationship with other people. Because now you're motivated by love. Now you are guided by love. So let's talk about that a little bit. You see, for boldness to work, it must be motivated by God's love. Yeah, you can go ahead and take that verse back if you would. You can just go to a blank screen for now. For boldness to work, it has to be motivated by God's love. Any other motivation is faulty. You know, when, when I got in the ministry, and I, I think about, back about this as a young man, I got saved when I was 19 years old, you know, received Christ as Savior, and grew, and then shortly after that, I started feeling that I ought to go in the ministry. By the time I went in the ministry, I went in the ministry because I was on a crusade regarding truth. What was true? What was right? And is truth important? Truth is very important. But I tell you what, it's the wrong motivation for boldness. Because truth as the motivation for boldness is hard. It is judgmental. I mean, because truth's sometimes hard to hear, isn't it? It's tough. This is why the scriptures instruct us to speak the truth. How? In love. That's what the scriptures tell us. You see, the motivation for telling the truth needs to be love because when the motivation is love, it makes us think, how am I going to tell this truth? What, how is this going to affect the person I'm telling it? And can I tell in a way that's going to make it? You see, we care about the person on the receiving end because our love for God has changed us and it's motivating us in this direction. So truth is, is a, a faulty motivation for boldness. Only love will be. Holiness of God. The holiness of God is, is the uh, most outstanding and referred to attribute about God in the scripture. He is holy. He is so holy that, that there are angelic beings who 24 hours a day, seven days a week from the beginning of creation who are crying out that he is holy, holy, holy. Hasn't stopped won't stop. He is so holy. But if holiness is my motivation for boldness, it goes like this. God is holy. He has no, you know, pull towards sin. You are a sinner. You are an offense to God because you are not holy and he is holy. Now, are those words true? 
Yeah, they are true. Those words are true. But without being motivated by love, it just becomes a crushing thing, a damaged thing. And so it has to be motivated by love. This is why the Apostle Paul in, in his letter to the Corinthians talks about love and he says, if, if you are doing anything that's not motivated by love, it's like a bunch of horns blowing and a bunch of cymbals crashing. And I know about this kind of noise because I have 12 grandchildren and my wife thinks it's a good idea to have musical instruments for them to play. And they go to it. It's not prof. I mean, it's pro. It's you know, it's being a grandfather. But God says that when we are motivated by anything but love, that's the way our lives come across. That's the way what we're doing comes across. And it's not God's way. It's not His way. So uh, we uh, need this right motivation for being bold and uh, not only because that's the only way it's gonna work but also to sustain the, the boldness that we need, to sustain it. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, the apostle Paul says that it is the love of Christ that compels us. This is Paul who repeatedly finds himself persecuted, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, who keeps preaching, who keeps sharing the gospel, who keeps being bold for Christ. Why, Paul? The love of Christ compels us. Because here's the deal. If, if my boldness is not motivated by love, when I get pushback for being bold, and we do get pushback sometimes for being bold, don't we? for sharing the truth or making certain decisions to live boldly, we get pushback. And our tendency to get pushback, especially if it's personal rejection, and maybe even somebody does something to try to bring damage into our lives because of it, we kind of step back and say, yeah, I don't know, let me rethink this. Maybe I'll change my mind about this. We sang up here this morning, it says, his love never changes. And so if I'm motivated by love to be bold and people respond well, that makes it easy, right? But I'm motivated by love. So I'll do it again because I'm not being motivated by how they respond, that I'm being motivated by the love of God in me that has changed me and continues to do so. And then if I get a really terrible response, God's love never changes, I'm still going to be motivated what? To be bold, because I'm motivated not by their response, but by the love relationship that I have with the Lord. And so love is a crucial part if we are going to sustain it. Uh, I, only love is sufficient. Anything else will run out. I, it's how Paul and Silas were sustained that even there in prison they would respond in this way. And it so captured the prisoners and so captured the jailer that we know the, the jailer and his family, we don't know about the rest of the prisoners, but the jailer and his family, their eternal destinies were saved. They were changed, I mean, from hell to heaven because Paul and Silas were motivated by their love relationship with God. 
Well, so how do we fall in love with Jesus in a way that changes everything? How do we do that? Well, the scripture gives us an insight into this, uh, a truth and that we get a principle from. Um, Let's go back to that verse, Matt, that we love him because he first loved us. So our love to God is what? It's a response. It's a response to his love. He loves, we see it, we get it, and that motivates us and changes us to love back. And then as we learn more about his love, we love back again and more. And so we enter this love relationship, and here's what's happened. We begin to know the Lord more and more and how he loves us so much so that now this love has filled us, overflows out to those around us. And when he says, love each other the way I've loved you, I know how that is because I know how he's loved me and I love you that same way. It's changed me. God's love has changed me. So how do we do that? How do we get that relationship? Well, you have to You have to learn and keep learning and keep growing in your understanding of how God loves you. Keep learning and growing understanding, trying to see in your life how he's shown his love to you. And sometimes life doesn't look very loving, but but God can work with that and help us to see and understand. And, And so, yeah, you need to be in the Bible, you need to be reading about God and how he is and what he does and what his promises are to us. You need to be talking to him about it. Say, I understand this, God, I don't understand that. Or help me here and having you know praying, talking to God about that, fellowshipping with other Christians, talking about God's working and how He's loved us, and worshiping together at the church, all those kind of things, right? But I want to say it is it's not those things, it's not the doing of things here that's gonna make the difference. Doing of those things is how we do what we need to do. And that's just really open ourselves up and lean into the Lord in a loving relationship with him. So let me talk about that for just a little bit. Here's here's some ideas as I think about this in my life. I think about, there are sins that I remember. Don't raise your hand, do you have any sins that you remember? more than I would like to number. The Lord knows all about them, knew all about them, loved me enough to come into the world, the ugly world that we live in, the pain-filled world we live in, and to take the penalty for my sins and suffer and die in the process. How much love is that? And then add in all the sins that I don't remember and don't care to remember. He knows them all. And yet he loves me. And he didn't save me and then do this and say, okay, now you're on your own. He saved me and he moved in. And he he refuses to leave. That's a good thing. I will never leave you. He's there inside and he keeps working and, and he doesn't give up on me. I mean, I get, 
I preach to you guys every week and I tend to be kind of optimistic in my personality and, and confident and I think in a healthy way, but it is not that unusual to say, you know, that if it was up to me, I would have given up on me this week. And he never does. He doesn't give up on me. And there's those times when I find myself feeling like, where is God, right? I, I don't, where is he? What's, I, I know he's around, I, but where is he, right? And then there are, t- in connected with all this, there are times when all of a sudden the Lord shows up in a special way. Sometimes there's something outside of me, that sometimes it's just an awareness inside. But he shows up and reminds me, I haven't abandoned you. Hey, come on. I'm still for you. Yeah, that was a really stupid thing you did. But I'm here with you. Let's do better. Loving, accepting. He accepts me without approving of everything that's in my life. That changed me, folks. Many years ago when I got a hold of that, or God got a hold of me that, that I could accept people without approving of everything in their lives because that's the way God does with me. He accepts me completely without approving of this in my life, and it changed me. Learning how he loved me like that has enabled me to love other people now who have things in their lives that aren't right. I can love you anyway. So not giving up on me, speaking to me, seeing him work. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed in so, so many ways, and I see his love for me. And when I spend time on a regular basis focusing on that, how much time? Enough, I don't know. But focusing on that part of my relationship with God, when I do that, it is a lot easier for me to be bold. And let's remember what we mean by being bold. We don't mean being loud and arrogant. We don't mean what we're seeing on the the television screen with politicians, that kind of boldness. That's ugly boldness. Christian boldness we're talking about is that we're talking today about being so motivated by loving God and, and his love through us for others that we are willing to say what needs to be said, say it when it needs to be said, saying it the way it needs to be said, even when it'd be a lot easier not to. It's, it's doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, the way it needs to be done. Even when it'd be a lot easier not to because maybe it's very countercultural. Goes to people around you aren't gonna understand or be happy with it. But so we're being bold. And when I am focused on my love relationship with God and, and spend time with him on that and living with him on that as I get up to go into the world, it's a lot easier to be bold. And it's a lot easier to be bold in the right way. So where does that come from? That comes from falling in love with the Lord. You know, that's, that's where that, that boldness needs to be rooted. And so, this is Christ's example for us. I would say he was bold. He came and said and did the things that needed to be said and done. Did it because he loved us. That's his motivation for us. Uh, and I want you to see that this love relationship that, that Paul and Silas had with the Lord, what ended up happening? This whole family, eternal destiny changed from hell to heaven because of their love relationship with God and the boldness that it produced. And so that's our example. 
And so I would suggest this to you today, strongly suggest it to you today. If you are not boldly living for Christ, it's high likelihood that you're not loving Christ the way that you really want to. That that love relationship isn't what it ought to be. The Lord led the Apostle John to write some words to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And he talked to them and he says, you are a great church. You preach the truth. You work hard. You don't give up. You don't, you know, getting tired. You don't let that slow you down. You're patient. You, you keep doing what you're supposed to do. You have right doctrine and you're very careful about your doctrine and, and, and what's being, you know, you don't just go with the flow. You make sure it's right and true. And, and he says, you're a hardworking church. That's a, would we like our church for God to say that about us? Well, I think he might. I really think he might. But then the Lord says this to them. Revelation chapter two, verse four. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. It's becoming as loud sounding horns and crashing cymbals. And it's not as effective as it ought to be because it isn't shaped by love. It isn't guided by love. And I think this first love is not the idea of first love like when we think in romance. (laughs) It isn't like that. I don't think he's even telling us to go back in time to when we first got saved, although sometimes there's some, we think about how we love God then. What he means, I think, is first in priority. You aren't loving me first. Your, Your love relationship with me isn't first on your list. It isn't where you're starting from. It isn't what you're building on. He says, you need to see this. This, John goes on, he says, you need to see this. You need to understand this. And then you need to repent. You need to make a change. You need to make a change to put your love for God and this loving relationship first. And when you do, you will experience the results of a Paul and Silas. It might be hard. It might be terribly hard. But God will use your boldness for his good eternal purposes. And in the middle of that hardness, you'll say, wow, God loves So if you want to be bold for Jesus, fall in love with him. Fall and spend the time, take the time, purposely set aside time to do nothing but focus on this love relationship between you and the Lord. It'll change you. It will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your chance, for especially for your love for us that is everlasting. It's new every morning. It's a new and amazing ways, faithful in every way. And I thank you that as we focus on that, that you change us and enable us to love you back and enable us to love uh, 
others as you have loved us. And I pray that we would just yield ourselves to this and pursue our love relationship with you, knowing that this will enable us to be bold as we ought to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.